All right, let me start off like this. Are there any Cubs fans with us? Okay, nobody in the room. Maybe you're joining us. But my roommate was a longtime Cubs fan in college. And Cubs fans, they're just some of the people that understand longing better than almost anybody else. And I got some giggles in the room because if you know, you know. See, the Cubs went a very long time without seeing or winning the World Series. They went 71 years without winning the National League pennant. They were Cubs fans that lived and died and never saw them even go to a World Series. They went over 100 years before winning the World Series. And if you knew any Cubs fans during this time like I did, you would know the process of grief that you go through as a Cubs fan. I remember the longing and the struggle of watching my roommate. Every year it was the same. Every year he would be like, we're going to do it. We're going to make it. And then I'm never watching the Cubs again. Never again. And then we get through the off season. And I don't know if it was the magic of Christmas or what, but like sometime in spring training, there would just be that little hint of a spark of like, well, you know, we did get that guy, so maybe. And then they'd win a couple of games and I'd see him looking at the game, like from the corner of the room, kind of watching. And then it would be close to playoffs, and he would have his hat on. He would be in front of the TV. And then all over again. Every single year. It was honestly hard to watch. Hard for me to watch this guy that I loved go through this process of longing for this good thing, this thing that is expected and promised for one of the oldest teams in the league, just to be disappointed again and again. And again, I wanted, I wanted more for him. And I actually got a text from someone at our church who wanted more for me as well. I think we have a picture of it here. Um, but this is a text that I got from a friend at church. And it says, uh, I suggest you cut yourself a break and go through whatever counseling it takes to withdraw from your toxic relationship with the Giants. Uh, today, they're merely stroking the massive ego of the team we love to hate. I'm old. It's too late for me. I'm stuck with the Bears. But for the sake of your sanity and health, Please seek help. Someone who cares. The Giants have only been bad for like 10 years. We won two Super Bowls before that. The Cubs struggled for 100 years. Man, I can only imagine the longing and the struggle and the desire and the crushed hopes every time they lost that a Cubs fan must have gone through. And I know you guys get it because a lot of you are Vikings fans. It ain't much better, people. Let me tell you some things about the Minnesota Vikings, courtesy of Wikipedia. See, the Vikings have an all-time overall record of 537, 455, and 11, which is the highest regular season and combined winning percentage in the NFL among franchises who have not won a Super Bowl. In addition, the most playoff runs, division titles, tied with the Buffalo Bills, Super Bowl appearances. So the Vikings have done great except for the thing that really, really matters. They also have the most conference championship appearances of non-winning Super Bowl teams and are one of the four teams that have appeared in a conference championship every decade since the 1970s and have not won the Super Bowl. They are the oldest major professional sports team in America with no championships. And so if anybody gets it, It's the Minnesota Vikings fans and the Cub fans. You know what it's like to long for this thing that, man, it feels like it's right there and just be disappointed every single year. And I think it's probably harder at Christmas 
It's this season where everything is joyful and glorious. And if the Vikings are not performing in Christmas time, it kind of puts this shadow over what's supposed to be a glorious holiday. I remember last year watching the Giants on Christmas just get annihilated by a division rival and being like, man, I don't feel as happy about Christmas as I should because my team is terrible. See, Christmas is this moment where we're supposed to have our joys fulfilled, where we're supposed to feel this longing met. We're supposed to be excited about the next chapter and the blessings that God has for us. But it's also a season where our longings can float to the surface and the things that have not yet been met can arise and be present. Well, here we are in a series at the front end of Advent where we're addressing this question of joy in the Advent season. This series is called Repeat the Sounding Joy, where we look for how we can get joy to be the thing that resonates in the season rather than the other things that creep in and try to push it out. And today, we're going to look at the resounding longing that we feel. Last week, Pastor Chris brought us through resounding, uh, dis well, I forgot the word, somebody help me, dis Disruption, thank you. I, I, we changed it from resounding disappointment, and that's the only thing I can remember. Resounding disruption last week, and today we're looking at the issue of longing. See, Advent marks the arrival, the beginning of the King coming. It marks the celebration around Christ's birth. And this morning, we're going to take a deeper look at some of that celebration around the come of the Messiah. We're going to look at what those in ancient Israel longed for, and how that might relate to you and I as well. And so if you have your Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning with me to Luke chapter 2, we are going to jump right in after the story of the birth of Jesus, right after the account of the shepherds, we find these words. It says this in the book of Luke, starting in verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus the name given him by the angel before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. And so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. And so they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You know, last week, Pastor Chris reminded us of the unmarried state of Mary and Joseph when they were told they're going to have this child. He also walked us through the disruption that the invitation to bear the Messiah must have been for this young mother and her future husband. And as we engage here in the beginning of the story, right after Jesus' birth, we're reminded of the situation of Jesus' earthly parents. As they bring this child to the temple and offer the sacrifice uh, that is appropriate, it's interesting what sacrifice they actually offer. Because by bringing these two animals, these two birds, it shows the state of their poverty. According to Leviticus 12, 2 through 8, a mother was purified for 40 days after the birth of a son, and then she was required to offer a lamb as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or turtle dove is a sin offering. But a poor woman could substitute an additional pigeon or turtle dove for the lamb. And so here at the beginning of our narrative today, we see that Mary was a poor woman. 
that her and Joseph did not have what it would take to bring a lamb to offer, but instead they brought a pigeon or a turtle dove. We're reminded here at the outset of this moment in the temple that Jesus and his earthly family did not carry with them power and privilege into the temple, that they came in obedience and expectation for God to move on behalf of his people after 400 years of silence. It's not hard to imagine some of the longings that Mary and Joseph probably had as they walked into the temple that day. It's actually probably easier to think about what they felt before the angel Gabriel even appeared to them, either in a dream or on their doorstep. They probably longed for enough food on the table, for security for their future children, for freedom from the oppression of Rome, or for peace in their time. Many of those things are longings that we share as well. We probably have a lot in common with Mary and Joseph. And then the angel came and threw this enormous disruption into their lives and into their longings, saying, you will have a son and you will name him Jesus. And here, not long after Jesus' birth, they enter the temple. And it's in this context with these longings and with this poverty that they come to the temple And we continue here in Luke chapter 2 and see the expectations met by Simeon. Read with me in verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout, and he was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. And he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. I have a hard time imagining the experience of Mary and Joseph in this moment. Honestly, I have a hard time anyone honestly saying they get what it's like to have an angel appear to them and say, hey, you're going to have a baby even though you guys are both uh, unmarried and you're going to have to deal with him not only being this child but being God and the Savior of the world and the Messiah. If you tell me you get that, then please, let's have coffee because I don't understand it. But the fact is, I can't imagine any of that, but I can't imagine that on top of the realities we've already talked about, on top of being poor, on top of being in occupied Rome, on top of being the history of the nation of Israel and having the expectations placed on you, I can't imagine what they were going through. What I can understand a little bit is the longing of Simeon. I know what it's like to feel like I'm promised something and to be waiting for it and waiting for it. Simeon was eagerly waiting for something that he was promised to see. It's like my kids on Christmas morning, just waiting to be able to come down the stairs and open up the presents. It's like waiting in line for sweet Martha's cookies where you can smell them and you know they're coming, just waiting for your turn. It's like waiting for the grass to poke up from the winter snow-covered ground in the spring, 
It's like waiting for that promised Vikings game where it's the Super Bowl, not just the playoffs that you win. There's that longing with expectation that Simeon has to see Jesus. You know, I wonder how many days Simeon went to the temple and left without seeing the Messiah. I wonder how many times he went to the temple to pray, to ask God to fulfill his promise. A promise that for Simeon was so much bigger than himself, but was a promise for his nation and for the entire world. I wonder how many times he left the temple without that expectation met. You see, what he was waiting for was for God to break the chains of oppression and let his people free. He's waiting for the one who would read the words of the scroll in Isaiah that Jesus stands and reads in the temple where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How many days did Simeon sit in the temple and weep? Because that day wasn't here yet. Because he was still waiting for that Savior to come. How many days did he leave with a renewed sense of hope because he trusted in God? How many days did he leave battling disappointment, battling the question, did I even hear from God? Is this a longing that will be fulfilled in my lifetime? I think we've walked through enough instances in our own lives of this kind of longing to know what it's like to have a longing unfulfilled to sit and cry in the temple. I don't know how long it was for Simeon, but I know the pain of my own unmet longings. I know what it's been like for me. I know the times I've wrestled with God over the suffering of my friends or my family, over my own anxieties or over theirs, over injustice or pain. And I know that unmet longing is painful. Unmet longing is painful. And you don't have to write that down to know it's true. We all know the feeling of pain with an unmet longing. I think every day that Simeon looked out and saw a Roman centurion in the street, he would be reminded of this unmet longing. Every time he had to pay a tax collector an unfair sum, he'd be reminded of the pain. Every time he'd go to the temple and find those teachings fall flat, or every time he'd pass a leper outside, or the poor, or the stricken, he'd have an opportunity to be reminded of the pain of his nation and the promise that he had not yet seen fulfilled of the Messiah. It's like watching the Cubs lose again or watching that field goal go wide when you thought it was coming. Yet this is with something so much bigger. You know, maybe for you in this season, it's the empty seat next to you. Maybe it's a phone that doesn't buzz with a text message or some physical pain that's a constant reminder that health is a dream that's far off. I don't know which longings you hold this Christmas season, but I think we all know the feeling of getting our hopes up in those longings only to have them crash back down. I think Simeon knows that feeling well. I think that was a common occurrence for the nation of Israel over the 400 years where they didn't get a word from the Lord, where they waited for the Messiah, but he didn't come. There are times that we're forced to dwell in the pain of those longings and ask God, how much longer do we have to wait? 
And then there are moments where God shows up and meets us in our pain as well, where God provides for our longings. For Simeon, it was that day when the Spirit led him to the temple. It was that day that he walked in and he held the child in his arms. He knew that this child was the child. Can you imagine it? I didn't get to see my roommate on the day the Cubs finally won, but I saw the text message. I saw the recording of him jumping up and down, losing his mind. Man, that's what I picture this old man doing in the temple. Like, this is it. This is the kid. He's here. He knew that he knew that he knew that this was the child beyond a shadow of a doubt. He knew what it meant. Not every last detail of when or why, but he knew that this was the promise realized. He knew that Jesus meant hope. And Advent is all about hope that is realized. Advent is about hope realized. Write that down because it's easy to know how much pain we have with our unmet longing, but sometimes it's hard to be reminded in the Christmas season, that there is a hope that was realized and is realized for us. Advent means arrival, and it truly does signify the arrival of hope. The baby that Simeon looked at in his arms, it didn't change everything in that moment. Rome was still occupied. The baby didn't lead to comfort or wealth for Mary and Joseph, aside from a few gifts from a few wise men. The lame and the sick and the leprous in the street on the day of the baby's birth and in the months and years afterward remained in their state. And yet the the baby still meant hope. Simeon could still release this prayer of thanksgiving before God because of what Jesus represented him. Simeon tells us that he could die in peace because he saw the spark of hope with his own two eyes. He didn't see the end of the story, but he saw God's faithfulness in motion. And he knew what it meant, that hope does not disappoint. The promise of Isaiah is coming, and the good news of the Messiah was on its way, that it was here. You know, unmet longing is painful, but God offers hope even in the middle of our waiting. And he joins us in it, just as the child Jesus joined us in person. Simeon got his promise, but the hope was so much bigger than himself. His praise proclaimed to God is all about all nations and all people. And Simeon wanted what God wanted for all people and all nations and all languages to be ushered in to the kingdom of God under the light of Jesus and unified under the king. He didn't see the end to violence and racism and injustice, but he saw the hope for that in the child in his arms. And Christmas is all about that hope, that longing to see God bring things through his presence and through his way to that reality. And it's not just Simeon who sees this hope realized, who has this experience, but we have another example as well right afterward in the life and experience of Anna. If you continue reading in verse 36, we find Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanael from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. We don't know a lot about Anna. We know that she was very old. 
We know that as with Mary, she probably married very young. We know that she was married only seven years. If you do the math there, she was married sometime as a teenager. That means she was, what, around 20 when she lost her husband? And scripture tells us she was 84 years old and she lived as a widow from the death of her husband until then. What we know about Anna is that she could have been a widow for over 60 years in a time where that was tough. Losing your spouse is unimaginable for many of us. But I've watched some people go through losing the person that they've wound their lives to. And it's hard. It is painful. Anna knew what it was like to walk into the temple in a holiday season with her spouse and then without him. How many of us married folk, most of the time we're here, it's with our spouse. I can't imagine what it was like for her every day to come to the temple and be reminded of what she'd lost. We also know that Anna was a prophetess. From the example of the Old Testament, we can understand that was a painful role as well. The prophets often were reminding the people to return, to repent, to come back to God. And say, hey, things aren't going to go well if you don't. And then to watch things not go well because they didn't. While the prophets offered messages of God's mercy and hope, they rarely got to see that hope realized. But Anna, on that faithful day in the temple, got to see hope realized. She sees Simeon and Mary and Joseph. She hears the shout of praise and knows that hope has been realized, that it has arrived. And Luke tells us she talked to everyone about Jesus, to everyone who was waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. She couldn't help but let her joy overflow. She said, it's here, he's here, he's here. That's the kind of joy I want us to have over Christmas. And yet there's a tension even in this story. See, there's a joy and an excitement it's like when, it's like if my kids saw Santa coming down the chimney. Like, it's, 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 he's here. I can just see their faces in the excitement. And yet, they're not opening the presents yet. And if he goes up the chimney and they open the presents, it's empty boxes. The joy is not going to be there very long. And that's almost what we have experiencing with Anna. You see, there's joy and there's excitement when we realize what the birth of Jesus means for us. When we get the hope that is offered, that the one who can restore sight to the blind and free the captives of sin and shame and death is here. That really does change everything. It's why Joy to the World became a Christmas song. It's because you want to start celebrating from the minute that process has started, even as we wait for the end when he comes again. We want to sing about it. And yet, even in this moment where Anna is celebrating and inviting everyone else in to celebrate as well, She proclaims that the Messiah is here to rescue Jerusalem. That's what they were waiting expectantly for. We also know from the Gospels that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because he knows that it'll burn, that it'll be destroyed. There is a realization of hope in the birth of the Messiah. But for those who waited, there's also an unmet longing for the day that this restoration is complete. Even as Simeon praises God for the coming of the Messiah, he turns to Mary and tells her that a sword will pierce her own heart and many will fall on account 
of the child. Even as some of the unmet longing is fulfilled here, there's still a future hope that remains unmet. Proverbs tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. We get to see both of these in the story of Anna and Simeon and Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Because as much as Advent is about a hope realized, it's also about a hope deferred. Advent is about a hope deferred. I can't stand here today and tell you that all of your longings that you're experiencing this Christmas season will be met this Christmas season because of Jesus. I can't tell you that the part of you that hurts come Christmas time because something just isn't right. I can't stand here and tell you that that's going to be fixed because Jesus came. Not today. I can't tell you that because of the birth of the child, you shouldn't feel pain or longing in your heart over the things that are broken in this world. The promise of the Messiah wasn't that everything would be put right at his birth. It was a signpost on the road that the kingdom was near, that God is still in control and is moving us forward to the day when his kingdom will never end, the day when all is put right. We live in the already of his birth and the not yet of him coming back again. Our passage this morning ends with these words in verse 39. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Mary and Joseph returned to Nazareth. They returned to the life of poverty and the pain of living in an occupied nation. Mary raised Jesus holding the words of Simeon with her that a sword would pierce her own heart as well. She watched Jesus grow in strength and befuddle the religious teachers, but also knew that there would still be a cost to come and a price to be paid. This Advent, you might not see the seat next to you filled. You might not find the healing that you're praying for. You may not get the money you need for the presence under the tree. Or the broken relationships in your life may not be mended before New Year's Day. That hope might be deferred another season. But what Simeon had, and what Anna had, and what Mary had, and what is available to all of us who trust in the name of Jesus, is a certain hope that one day, all of our deepest longings are met when the king returns again. We have a certain hope. And Advent is about that certain hope. We're not all Cubs fans. We're not even all Vikings fans. But we have a longing in our souls that is shared. We all want a better world. We have a longing for things to be right. I've looked a loved one in the eye who was battling the end of their life. I've watched the mental decline and I've longed for something better than that. Better than the experience where you feel like you're being robbed of a loved one. I've watched another grandparent die too soon of cancer and felt robbed of the moments I should have had with him and the opportunity for him to meet my youngest child. I've read the statistics of children killed in Israel and Palestine and Ukraine, and I've mourned and longed for a better world. 
I've heard stories from our friends at Emmanuel Children's Home that those kids go through. I've longed for a better life, for a better way, for something better for those kids. And I've heard stories from you. I've heard from the pain that you go through as parents and as grandparents, as single people, as people who want a job that they can thrive in, a relationship they can press into, or health so that they can do the things God has called them to do. And I've listened to the unmet struggles and I've longed for something better. So today, what is the deepest longing in your heart? What is the longing in your soul? Jesus came to bring the words of the prophet Isaiah to fulfillment, to life. He brought life to those words and he brings life to our longing as well. Jesus is hope revealed and hope realized. He is hope deferred but restored. He is certain hope that one day there's a tomorrow that is better, but there's one day where that tomorrow is best, where one day all is put right. Because if the king reigns, if the king is on the throne, he shares our deepest longing. And he shared it enough to step into it, to be born and to live next to you and I. How encouraging is it that our longings are shared by the king? Now, Simeon saw the infant king, as did Anna. They were overjoyed because they knew what his arrival meant, that the kingdom had arrived, that the gates would be opened and the masses invited in, that there would be healing and grace and goodness, that the table would overflow and none would perish, but all would have everlasting life. This is longing fulfilled. This is the certain hope that we have in the gospel through the death and the resurrection of the Messiah King. So what is your deepest longing this Advent season? And how does that Messiah King step into that? How does he stand with you in that? Because Jesus is with you in your deepest longing. Advent reminds us that the deepest longings of our soul, the longing for things to be as they should, those longings are shared by the Most High. He shares them so deeply that he would come and be with us. He would be born in a cradle as one of us. He would die as one and for us. That he would rise again so that we would have a certain hope beyond death. I can't promise that all of your longings will be met this Christmas season. But I can promise that God sits with you in your pain and feels with you as you both long for something better. He provides a certain hope that that is coming. He has done something and is doing something to make that better happen. And we can be certain of that because there isn't just a cradle at Christmas. There's also an empty tomb. And so say yes to inviting Jesus this Advent into your longings. Find joy in what he's already revealed and what he's already realized and the hope we already have and invite him to sit with you as you long for something better as well. If you want to pray with someone, there are longings you need help to invite Jesus into. That's what the church is here for. We would love to pray for you, to pray with you, and to walk alongside you this Advent. Don't let this season slip by without inviting Jesus into the places that you have an unmet longing. And see how he wants to 
bring joy this Christmas. And now as we turn to a time of communion, I hope you can find a way to experience that joy, even as you hold the longing in one hand and joy in another. Because Christ has done something for us. There is hope that is certain and realized. He does offer freedom. And I hope that you find joy even as the deepest longings of your heart are deferred one more day. Or deferred perhaps until the day that he comes again. Communion offers an opportunity for God to meet us in the complexity of all that we bring and the beauty of all that he's done. And so let us bring all of ourselves as we celebrate the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As we enter into this time, I want to remind everyone that there's a place at the table for you if you can faithfully pray the prayers that we're going to pray. The only one that can come between you and Jesus is you. Because what we're about to do is something the Lord invited us to. See, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus broke broke bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So friends, as you join with us in this time, know that you are proclaiming the coming of the Lord and the promise of his resurrection until the day that he comes again and makes all things right. Let's pray together this prayer. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, lends the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. God, we ask and we invite you to do just that. God, change the longings of our hearts to match your longings and make us clean, give us hope, And may we overflow with joy for what you have done and what you will do. God, we don't have the power to do this in ourselves, but we turn to you, even using the words that you gave us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.